Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. Today, we're going to talk about the sex slave in the attic, the black executioner, and the Agawa lector. Before we jump into these fascinating stories, wherever you're listening to this podcast, wherever good podcasts can be found, go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review. My social media will be there as well. You can like, share, and subscribe. And if you want to send feedback with ideas or uh, topics you want me to look into, blackercouch at gmail.com. first story begins with a birth, as many tend to do. While Berga, Osterich, nicknamed Dolly, and Queen of Los Angeles, was born while Berga Korschel in 1880 to German immigrant parents. At age 12, while Berga worked at the textile mill of Fred William Otterich, 15, another German immigrant who had become successful and frequently hired fellow immigrants in his factories. Wahlberga was by all accounts an attractive and charismatic girl with many friends among the factory workers. She quickly attracted Fred's notice and the two married when she turned 17. From the beginning of the marriage, however, Wahlberga was rumored to have invited many lovers into her home during the day while Fred worked at the meal. Me so horny. You keep lying. Me love you a long time. To be fair to her, back then, marriage was a business arrangement. She worked for a man and he decided to make her his wife. That didn't mean she was in love. But But (laughs) she didn't wait for the ink to dry to let her or freak out of the bag or freak off the leash. Fred himself was a hard-nosed, hard-drinking businessman. Their relationship pretty much plotted along for years. She was pretty popular. She was able to take care of a lot of the disputes at the factory between her husband and the workers because she was one of them, which is how she got the nickname and why she was so well-respected and liked, particularly around the, the men. So if she was getting her jollies off, it wasn't something that came between these two people until 1913, when Dolly began the affair that would eventually make headlines across the nation, having met 17-year-old Otto Sanhuber. Heard you in the mood for a little milkshake. Welcome to the Dairy Duchess Love Factory. I could whip it up, fix you up straight away. Come on in the front door, leave it at the back door, whip it, flip it, hey! If anyone's doing the arithmetic, she would have been 33 at this time. He was 17. 
a bit of an age gap, but you know, it was back then and uh, 17 isn't the same as we view 17. <laughs> I mean, think of her husband. He had a whole factory and was hiring people by the time uh, this kid decided to work for him. But he was a so repairman. She became taken with him. So she had her husband send Otto to their home to work on her sewing machine. Uh, I think the fuck not, you trick ass bitch. It is said she greeted San Huber at the door in nothing more than stockings, a slinky robe, and a smile. Get your ass on that bed and prepare for the night of your life. Dolly knew what she was up to. She's like, I know my puss got that seasoning, got that pepper, got that salt, got that, uh, got that collard greens, whatever the fuck she had, she knew how to flaunt it and she knew that men wanted it, though I don't think any hot-blooded young stallion could resist. <laughs> Uh, someone throwing it on them quite like that. It was, of course, during that visit, their affair began. To avoid suspicion from the neighbors, Dolly explained that Otto was her vagabond half-brother, which would have probably been fine, except the lovers were not indiscreet. And before long, Fred discovered the affair because all the neighbors are like, that's really... Nasty that you kissing your half-brother in the front yard every time he leaves. It's a little, little uncomfortable for all of us. And Fred, I think maybe <laughs> you need to handle that situation. When she was confronted by her husband, she vowed to end the relationship. But instead of doing that, she had a much better idea. How about she somehow convinced this boy instead of leaving my husband or ending my affair with you, how about I embark on a plan to keep both men in my life? Because one is supporting me financially and the other one is supporting the sex addiction that clearly I have. Because as this, as we're about to find out, she convinced Otto that he should quit his job and move into the attic of her home that she shared with her husband. Are you fucking serious? Up until that moment, the age gap was not alarming, but <laughs> it wasn't this just that she got him living up in the attic, which was accessible through a panel in the ceiling of the closet of the bedroom that Dolly shared with her husband. She had this man having sex with her up to eight times a day. She had him cooking the meals that she would say she prepared for her husband, cleaning the house, <laughs> washing the dishes, doing the laundry, all while at night he would live in total silence reading and writing science fiction stories because she supplied him with a cot 
food, a lamp, books, and some writing materials. So he was living one reality during the day and another at night where he felt very much like the child that he was <laughs> while being utilized in a manner if this was a female wildly inappropriate. Each morning, as soon as Fred left for the factory, Otto would emerge from his attic hiding place. The pair would complete Dolly's household chores and spend the remainder of their time between the sheets of the bed that Fred shared with his wife. Just before Fred was due to return home, Otto would scramble back to the attic, which contained little more than the items that I advised. Oh, and a bucket for him to do his business. Dolly continued to play the dutiful wife and her husband was not aware of anything. However, Fred started to sense something strange was happening in his house because you can't not not hear the presence of someone else moving around, even if they try their best to be silent. He couldn't put his finger on it, which kind of drove him a little mad, left him feeling unsettled. He was definitely baffled by the disappearance of food in the icebox, the mysterious noises. But Dolly reassured Fred that nothing was amiss, so the gaslighting was real. Oh, it's just your imagination running away from me. <laughs> just my imagination running away with me but who would ever think there must I would, some people would think there was a ghost or possibly someone stowing away in the house but probably last on the list of things you would think is going on it was made worse though by his overindulgence in alcohol and the stress at his workplace environment so he was mentally in a position to be taken advantage of. In 1918, Fred decided, hey, we're moving to Los Angeles. You would think this would be the end of the sex slave story in the attic, but alas, Dolly was on some shit. And she said, look, I'll agree to move on one condition, that I get to choose our new home. And she deliberately picked a house with an attic which is a rarity in Los Angeles at that time, just so that she can move her sex slave into the Los Angeles attic prior to their arrival, where their affair resumed. You know, after eight times a day, you would think her vagina just turned into a chasm and now nothing else. <laughs> I wonder what he was working with that she would go through all of these hoops just to make. Well, yeah, come on now. She's got herself a nice young, significantly younger. Um boy toy why would she want to give that up 
On August 22nd of 1922, after overhearing a loud argument between the couple and believing that his precious Dolly might be in danger, Otto emerged from the attic and retrieved his uh, .25 caliber pistol, both of them, from the bedroom barrel, which belonged to the husband, mind you. In the ensuing struggle, Otto shot Fred three times, killing him. The two lovers then hastily staged the scene to look like a botched burglary. Dolly gave Otto all the cash in the bedroom as well as Fred's diamond watch. Otto then locked Dolly in a closet and tossed aside the key before returning to the attic with the money, watch, and pistols so that she could just be discovered by the police. Upon being summoned by the neighbors who reported the gunshots, the police, unaware of Otto's presence in the house, strongly suspected that Dolly had been involved in the murder, which was true, but were unable to explain how she could have locked herself into the closet. That just makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. Oh, my, 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 my. Here's the crazy part. She got away with it. After the murder, Otto just continued to live in the attic in the same house for another eight years with his lover after shooting her husband, arguably in his defense, thinking he was protecting his lover. Granted, he was trespassing, but is it trespassing if the wife put you there? The only notable change in the relationship was that Otto was permitted a typewriter and there was no longer anyone to hear him typing away his stories at night. By this time, Dolly was also, because clearly she has an itch in her vagina that consistently needs to be scratched with her she was carrying on an affair with her personal attorney, Herman Shapiro, whom she had hired after being suspected for Fred's murder. In 1930, Shapiro became suspicious after Dolly gave him the diamond watch. She reported stolen by the burglars who murdered her husband. Why didn't y'all pawn the fucking watch? She stated, why did she get the watch back from her lover to give to her next lover? Dolly, you are sloppy in all of the ways. She stated she had later found the watch in the front yard and that the thieves must have dropped or abandoned it during their escape, which is plausible. But still, you got this guy to represent you because they suspect you of being involved. Roy Klum, another of Wahlberger's Burgas lover soon discovered that she was having an affair with Shapiro. So he went to the police and informed them that Dolly had given him a pistol shortly after the murder because she just given away objects, asking him to dispose of it in the La Bria tar pits. I love that she has a sex slave servicing her eight times a day and she still feels the need to have two lovers that she's cheating on. <laughs> Once again, her punana must got that Creole seasoning, bruh. A neighbor told 
police that Dolly had given him yet another pistol shortly after the murder, asking him to dispose of it because it too closely resembled the gun that killed her husband. And she did, and she quote, did not want to get into trouble. The neighbor buried the pistol under a rose rose bush in the garden. Police were able to retrieve the pistols from both locations. <laughs> and although they were badly decayed, both weapons were determined to be the same caliber that killed Dolly's husband because she's stupid enough not to have just tossed them in the fucking ocean or river or anywhere besides to people that can mark you out as complicit in the crime. She was, of course, arrested under the suspicion of murder. While in jail, Dolly confided to Shapiro that her vagabond half-brother. <laughs> oh my God, what is wrong with this chick? Was living in the attic of her home and requested he check on, <laughs> on his well-being. What did he say? <laughs> the thing is, Shapiro's like, nah, you lying. You li- I've been overnight a couple of times, more than a couple of times. You fucking lying we've known each other for years but when he uh followed her instructions and knocked on the trap door which would give Otto the signal that only Dolly would greet him with uh he realized she was not lying he was greeted by a thin pale but cordial Otto who explained his true relationship with Dolly and eventually confessed to his role in the murder Dolly was arrested and tried for manslaughter the unusual circumstances of the case soon reached the press where Otto was dubbed the Batman. Otto, poor thing, was convicted of manslaughter, but later released because the statute of limitations had expired. He changed his name to Walter Klein and moved to Canada where he married another woman who wouldn't treat him as a sex slave, then eventually relocated back to Los Angeles and lived the remainder of his life in obscurity. Dolly's trial ended in a hung jury with most of the jurors leaning towards acquittal because while, and I agree with this, she didn't intend to murder her husband. (laughs) Oh, and she didn't actually pull the trigger. She just was in a situation which ultimately led to a misunderstanding of events between the two men. Because keep in mind that her husband was an alcoholic. So he probably saw another man and rushed at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm just trying to make sure you're not beating the shit out of her. uh, Because things were sounding intense. And and so, yeah. I think manslaughter is more appropriate. Otto would have been the the major player on that since he grabbed the weapons. And Dolly is just Dolly. And in 1936, the indictment against her was finally dropped. She remained in Los Angeles until her death in 1961 at the age of 80. What a story to leave the world in regards to your very uh, promiscuous ways. Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. In the 
time of executions, to be an executioner, in the time of executions, to be an executioner was to be a stain, but a necessary stain on the community, which was how Louis Congo lived his life. Not only being an African, but being an executioner and a pretty prolific one. 18th century Louisianian society was an electric mixture of different races, cultures, and traditions, but also a male-dominated race and class-based hierarchy. Following the uprooting and displacement of indigenous peoples, the territory was held by the French from, from 1699 to 1731, possessed by Creole Louisianians from 1732 to 1768 and occupied by the Spanish from 1769 to Extraction living in proximity to colonists from France, Switzerland, and Germany, and free and enslaved Black people who were from the French West Indies, Senegambia, and Congo, or native-born Louisianians. I don't like that word because my mouth doesn't want to say it. <laughs> Just feels like every time I start going into it, by the time it gets to the end, it's like, no. Most Frenchmen were indentured servants, while others were soldiers, tradesmen, traders, overseers of plantations, and planters. Africans like Louis arrived in Louisiana when Europeans trafficked them by ship from West Africa or the West Indies and sold them to French colonists who desired slaves to labor in ag agricultural fields. In 1712, there were 20 Black people in Louisiana. Public execution was an undesirable profession because the executioner indiscriminately inflicted pain and death on alleged criminals, regularly witnessed the suffering of executed victims, and occasionally experienced public scrutiny and violent physical retaliation from those sentenced to punishment. As an executioner, Congo carried out four types of punishment in New Orleans, flogging, hanging, breaking on the wheel, and burning alive at the stake. However, while this, this job was particularly demeaning, it paid far above all the others. For each torture or execution, Congo received a warrant that simultaneously ordered him to punish an alleged criminal and protected him from being charged with the crime of murder. Flogging executed wait flogging executed with birching or a cattle nine's tails was often used on black slaves who broke slave codes birching consisted of several leafless branches of flexible wood bound together used to whip a slave on their bare buttocks back and shoulders flogging with a cattle nine tails involved a whip made of nine knotted leather thongs on cotton cords that are two and a half feet long used to lacerate a person's skin. Hangings were usually invoked against murderers, thieves, and slave deserters of any race or gender. 
Breaking on the will was typically meted out against the leaders of slave revolts, particularly in emulation of colonists who executed 21 enslaved Africans who participated in the New York slave revolt of 1712. When Congo executed slaves in this manner, he spread the person's limbs out and tied them to a large wooden cartwheel and repeatedly bludgeoned their limbs with a large hammer or iron bar until their bones were broken and their limbs fell through the gaps of the wheel. If French officials instructed, instructed Congo to end the victim's suffering, he gave the individual either coup de gras, fatal blows of mercy to the abdomen and chest or retentum, special grace via strangulation. Once the victim was dead, Congo displayed the disfigured body to a crowd of onlookers. From 1725 to 1737, Congo's career as an executioner was documented in the civil and criminal records of Louisiana's Superior Council. In 1737, Congo tortured baptized slave Guala at the request of a plantation manager by cutting off the man's ears and branding his right shoulder with a fleur de lis. Furthermore, enslaved Africans and Native Americans under punishment most likely felt betrayed by Congo, who was once a slave, while white citizens harbored resentment because they were disciplined by a person society told them was racially and culturally inferior. And that is the, the internal and external anguish of this man's chosen position in society. He had no one. And because he was no one, who he punished then became no one. You get what I'm saying there? Like he didn't, like there was that, but for it, him to be able to live his life and do his job in the cold-blooded manner, because what? You think because Congo didn't do it, someone else wouldn't? That's exactly what they would do. Furthermore, these reports highlight how Congo's role as law enforcement and an informant made him the enemy of many. Beyond 1737, accounts of Congo's life disappear. Therefore, it is unknown whether Congo retired or was killed for being the black executioner of Louisiana. Moreover, what is known is that Congo was surely respected, feared, and hated by the Louisiana populace for the methods he used to deliver punishment and the death penalty. I love how he was the person everyone's hatred went into, although he was not the one signing the warrants that actually were responsible for what happened to the lives of the people he took on said orders. I thought this was a fascinating story to me because it's Black History Month and we we always hear about the stories that that end in, in uplifting and positive messages or that are kind of cherry picked to be the the face of right the culture but even within the culture there's a lot of stories that are are far more stories of than simply sound bites or or trending topics or trending people that make everyone feel relatively safe to talk about versus someone 
that is and chose to be an isolationist and probably died for that because that was the best that he can do in his life. That's what he committed to the nihilism, I think, in that. And it's explored a little bit in an interview with the vampire. If you watch that show on AMC where Louis, same name, is is the son of a former plantation owner who had their own black slaves. And that's not an uncommon story, particularly in New Orleans, where the the color line got a little hazy (laughs) Uh, in regards to what it meant to be black because that came in different variations and like we said at the end of the story it wasn't just hated he was also respected and I think he also had power over his white peers that other black freed or enslaved Africans did not have and and that's something that may have been a part of his decision. You never know. Um, but I think that more stories that reflect the gray areas more are definitely more stories we need to learn about. And if I find any more for next week, I will definitely bring it to us since we are out of time. So we're going to have to save the the Igawa Lecter for next week. I think I'm going to have to break these down to two, especially if I have longer stories. And I do want to keep these under 30 minutes. So next week we will talk about Sagawa Lecter and the pig farmer. Because those are uh, pretty fucking crazy. Actually, they, they complement each other fairly well now that I think about it. Should probably throw some structure into these as well. <laughs> I'm deeping uh digging into deeper topics but let's talk about a dirty joke because i love dirty jokes and i found a whole list and now i'll be using these going forward talk dirty to me how do you embarrass an archaeologist give him a used tampon and ask him which period it came from bloody hell this week diddle your fiddles i think that's how we're gonna wrap it up if you want to send feedback, blackercouch at gmail.com or you can leave a comment below. Until next time, peace to air grease and blacker magic. <laughs>